Uh, hello, everyone. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Go ahead and grab your seats. I think it is very sad that I'm controversial, but, but, but I'm, I'm willing to wear that label for the good of the kingdom, for the good of the nation. And, and I love, this is my most favorite thing in the world to preach on is, is Christian character. Because gifting may get you a platform, it may give you an opportunity, but it's your character that will keep you there. And uh, this message really was crafted and put together because I looked around and I saw a, an astonishing amount of Christians falling off when things became difficult, whether it be a personal price they didn't want to pay or an offense. And really, if I could surmise it and distill it down, it was they just hadn't grown up in God. They, they were still baby Christians. And we all, we all start there, but the idea behind discipleship is where you start is not where you finish. So when you get sa saved, that's not the end. That's, that's just the beginning. And so I'm really, really proud that we're a, we're a church that, that honors and values discipleship because we want you to live an amazing life, like in the words of Gladiator, that echo through eternity. So the legacy you leave is, is a good legacy. So the title of my message, and I really want you to take notes, there is a lot of information and scripture coming your way, um, is called adulting. The message is called Adulting. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to start by reading a scripture, and this is the scripture that I want you to frame everything that I'm saying through. 1 Corinthians chapter number 13, verse 11. When I was a child, my speech, my feelings, and thinking were all those of a child. That's what kids do. So it was okay. But now that I am an adult, somebody say adult. adult. Somebody say adulting. adulting. I have no more use. Somebody go, no more use. Do that emoji like that. I have no more use for childish ways. Okay, so why does God want you to grow up from a baby Christian to an adult Christian? Because only the mature can reproduce. Once you reach maturity, you now become a reproducer. And the desire for God is not that you would just reproduce and make disciples, but that you would leave a legacy. The Bible says a good person leaves a legacy or an inheritance to their children's children. So you leave a good deposit after your time on planet Earth. You leave a good deposit. So I'm going to talk about four areas today that... I believe the church needs to grow up in maturity. The first one is relationships, mature relationships. The second one is responses, mature responses. The third one is choices, mature choices. And the final one, and the most important of all, is mature worship. So in case, like Pastor Jürgen, I don't get through all my points, you have, you have the headline. He had one condition on coming out here that I wouldn't throw him under the bus. And I said, babe, that's what I do. It goes without saying. It goes without saying. 
Jesus had a conversation with the disciples, and, and it was his first conversation, really, with some of them. And he said to them, I want you to launch out into the deep and throw your nets out for a catch. And they did what they were told after a little bit of argument, and they got a miraculous catch. But when Jesus says something, it's never just one principle or, or, or one facet or dimension. It's always multifaceted. So he wasn't just saying physically throw your nets over and get a catch, which they did, but he was actually saying to them, I want you to leave the shallows, boys, and I want you to launch out into the deep. And I think many, many Christians believe Christianity is boring because they hang around in the shallow end. They're, they're in the shallow end of the pool. They got their floaties and their little ring on. And they're like, this isn't fun. There's no adventure in this. Yeah, it's because you didn't take your floaties off and launch out in, into the deep, into the great things that God has for you. And you're hanging in the shallow end with the toddlers, wondering why your life sucks. Things can be better than they've been. So what does it mean to grow up in God? What does it mean to put off childish things as a believer? All right, mature relationships. I want you to ask yourself this question. Would you like to be friends with you? Wow. Write it down. Think about it later. And be real honest with yourself. Do you listen? One thing that I've noticed in more modern times is that some people forget that a conversation is two people talking and they're coming at you like a hurricane and then they wonder why they've got no friends and nobody in the church was nice to me it's because you didn't draw a breath nobody could be nice you didn't shut up do you listen can you celebrate others can, can, that, that's a big one because if somebody sniffs jealousy, jealousy is a veiled form of hatred. And an immature Christian cannot celebrate something else because your win is my loss. Maturing in our relationships. Are you helpful? Let's talk about practically turning up to people's houses. Are you the one who always comes late and then stays late and never helps? And everybody's kind of cleaning up around you and you're telling your 17th story. And they said, please bring a dish to share, but you just bring yourself. And talk everybody. And again, wonder why you're not invited to social gatherings. Mature relationships. Do you say thank you? When someone shows you a kindness... Do you send them a text and say, hey, thank you so much for having me in your home. Thank you so much for insert gratitude item here. I, I think the art of the thank you card actually needs to come back. It was a powerful thing. I remember when Pastor Jürgen and I got married, I had to sit down for what felt like two weeks to personally handwrite thank you cards to people that I didn't even meet that bought me presents on my wedding day, friends of my mother's. And because it was the right thing to do. Mature relationships. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 18.24, the person who wants friends must themselves be friendly. Now listen to this. At church you'll find that sometimes we can make it a little, a little too easy for you to be friendly and get your stuff together because we 
Massage relationships. If you see someone on their own, invite them to connect group. And, it, and it's a good thing. We want to create a culture of inclusivity and, and accepting people and pulling them in and giving them every possible chance. But when that happens, how do you respond? Are you friendly? Or do you sit in the very back row looking like you've been baptized in vinegar and lost your last friend, swirling your Starbucks like a witch's brew, scowling at people? And then leaving a Yelp review about how mean they are at Awakened Church. Who's rejecting who? Who's rejecting who? <laughs> so what should you do when you look for friends? Because a lot of us, a lot of us actually don't know the litmus test for actually looking for people to pull into our close circle. I have, I have a. I have a very simple rule of thumb when it comes to choosing a friend or choosing a mate, a spouse. Look for the fruit of the spirit. Well, I have a spouse. Now that is done. I'm talking about others, Yegi. I'm talking about others. Choosing a spouse. When you're choosing, yeah, no distractions on the front row here. When you're choosing a friend or choosing a potential spouse, for those of you who aren't married, I, however, am married. You can't go past the fruit of the Spirit because there are a lot of weirdos in church still. I wish there wasn't. There are still dangerous people in church because the church is open to everybody. So, so what's the litmus test you should use as a mature person when it comes to choosing friends or a potential mate for those of you who aren't married. The fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5 gives us the most beautiful picture of what a healthy person looks like. Do they have the signature of God? Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Did I get them all? Good. Thank you. That's the perfect way to decide who you want to bring in close. Someone you want to date someone you want to pull in as a close friend. Don't pull dangerous people in close. Wow. E even if you're lonely. The Bible tells us this in Proverbs 22, 24 to 25. Do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. Do not associate with one easily angered. Why? Because you may learn their ways and get yourself ensnared. You're going to become like the people you spend your time with. Oh, but I can change them. Oh, but what if they change you? What if they change you? The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 15:33, do not be misled because bad company corrupts a good character. I know you have the best of intentions. I know you want to get all your worldly friends saved, but you've got to learn to put a little bit of distance between people that are not yet redeemed enough for you to have in your personal world. I've seen so many people train wreck because they didn't make smart choices concerning their friends. Proverbs 16 verses 28 to 31 says this, troublemakers start fights, gossips break up friendships. Calloused climbers betray their very own friends. They'd stab their own grandmother in the back. 
A shifty eye betrays an evil intention. Don't you love the message? And a clenched jaw signals trouble ahead. Learn to discern the warning signs. And ask God. Ask God to help you discern. Say, Father, help me. I know there's people out there. And and here's one of the myths that I had to teach my children. Because on Instagram, it looks like everybody has hundreds and thousands of friends. And you're the only person who doesn't have hundreds and thousands of friends. But the truth is, I think if in your lifetime... You could count the close confidant friends you have on one hand. You are a very rich person. Don't put pressure on yourself to have a huge, big Instagram circle of partiers. Like, trust God. There are people out there. There is a Jonathan there for you, David. Like, you're going to be fine. You're going to be okay. Trust the Lord. Use discernment. In relationships of the romantic kind, here's the only list you need. Do they have a job? (laughs) And this is a key one. And again, I would like to say, do they go to church? Yes, that's a very, very big sign, but not always when they go to church. There are some creepers in church. We're doing our best to dislodge them, but we won't always get all of them. (laughs) Do they have a job? What is their relationship like with their parents? Even if their parents are dysfunctional, what's their honor like of their parents? Do they tithe or are they at least open to it? I love the story of Pastor John and Pastor Becky. He was a Christian, but he wasn't in a culture that that taught tithing. And she was very determined that she wasn't going to date a non-tither. And so when she asked him if he tithed and she said no, she said, well, that's a deal breaker for me. Guess who started tithing immediately? (laughs) Pastor John. If you date someone and break up with them, what does a mature person do? Don't slander them. Don't slander. Be mature about it. Don't be so vengeful that you make it so they will never get a date in this town again. Be honorable. Let their own behavior speak to the kind of person they are. Let their behavior do do the talking. Mature relationships. We're going to keep moving. Mature responses. People skills. If you don't have them, get them. Here's the best way to get really good people skills. There are some great books out there, but honestly, if you have to use a book, uh, it actually makes you seem even a little bit more in need of people skills. I, I would say the best way to get people skills is to find someone with great fruit in their life and copy them. Do what they do. Find, find someone who's healthy, who's gracious, who's confident, who has a decent amount of true, deep friends, who has some great fruit in their life, and become like them. Spend time with them. Turn up to Charles and Te- Pastor Charles and Tessa's house when they're doing things. Learn to see how she engages other people, her children. Connor, this front row of people right here are the perfect people to study in order to have the life you want. Mature responses. The Enneagram is not your excuse. The longer I live, the more I dislike the Enneagram. I'm going to be honest. Now, if you're an Enneagram consultant here, please don't get offended at me. I'm bound to hurt everybody's feelings at least a couple of times. So that was your turn. However, I just feel like it's become this escape hatch for bad behavior. 
oh, the reason I punched you in the face is because I'm an eight. No, no, no. You're not allowed, no, you are not allowed to be rude, to be dismissive, to be mean, to isolate, to give people the silent treatment, to give people the stink eye because of your Enneagram number. There is something that trumps Enneagram and it's the Spirit of God. Do you know what your Enneagram is? It's Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's your Enneagram. It's actually not that hard to learn to communicate and respond maturely and effectively. And I, I realize for, for many people here, because of the dysfunction in our society, you're, you're treading new ground. But I want to encourage you, you're going to make it. You, you're going to grow up, you're going to move out of the shallow end of that pool and become a deep, beautifully, wonderful, spirit-filled Christian who lives a life of blessing that blesses you and blesses others. If every conversation you have goes badly, it's probably you. It's not everybody else. Nobody likes me. Uh, If you keep bumping into the same issues constantly, it's time for a look in the mirror. A big part of being an adult is self-reflection. So I have a personal conviction. I've been a Christian for a really long time. I'm 47 years of age. When I sit in a meeting, I don't sit in a meeting like Pastor Marissa said, thinking about all the other people who need to change and have a list like things Jürgen needs to learn. I don't... And that's the temptation to sit and let it deflect, to let it ricochet, to use a military word, to let it ricochet off you and hit the person next to you. But self-reflection, that is a life-changing, the ability to self-reflect and go, oh, Father, search me, know me. Where am I messed up? Where am I putting people at, at arm's length? Where am I sabotaging my relationships because of my bad responses and choices? If you say, or if you always find yourself saying, nobody listens to me, ask yourself, why? Yeah. Are you a whiner? Yeah. Are you always complaining? Do you listen? Wow. Are you an alarmist? Wow. Is everything you say death con five? You're like the boy who cried wolf. So nobody knows when you're actually having a crisis because it seems like you're always having a crisis. So people are just tuned out. It's white noise now. I'm always being misunderstood. Why? Why are you constantly being misunderstood? Is it time to take some stock about the way that you're communicating? Look to your methods. What signals are you sending that are constantly making people feel confused about your agenda? I told you this was going to be hard, but it's worth it. Why do I never get asked to social engagements? Uh, Are you sour? If I see you sitting in a crowd, I, I love, I want to include everybody. And the reason I'm being... Strong today is because this is a, a crowd, so I can, I can punch everybody at once, so it feels better. Yeah. 
You know, it, it's like there's a community of people getting hurt at the same time. It feels good. Oh, yeah, we're in it together. Oh, she punched us all. But, but if, I, if, I, if I see someone in a crowd who looks sour, who looks mean and looks angry, they may get an invitation, but they get an invitation out of pity. So the desire is that you would change. I, I believe we have a moral obligation to be happy. If you're a Christian here today, you've got Jesus in your heart. Sometimes you actually have to remind your face. I'm a Christian. And we wonder why we walk into a room and we carry a cloud and then nobody invited me. And that awakened church, they're so clicky. No, you just walked in like a rain cloud. You, you scared everybody off. Are you selfish? Are you selfish? Maybe you're not asked to social engagements because you're selfish. Are you strange? Now, there's, there's degrees of strange. Clearly, Pastor Jürgen is the good kind. <laughs> but then there's the bad kind of strange. It's like the look of, you know, that guy who stares at the girls like that, like a fat kid staring at a cake store. That, that's, that's the strange that's going to get you uninvited. You will not be getting the party invitation. <clears throat> Am I selfish? Do I talk too much? Am I demanding? Am I frustrating to be around? How do you respond when you're offended? I believe the way you respond when you're offended is the greatest revealer of your spiritual maturity, the, uh, with, uh, without a doubt. If there was a dashboard of how spiritually mature you are, it would have an offensometer on it. And if you're always in the red zone, baby, you've got to get out of the shallow end. You've got to put off childish things. You're, you're, you're a grown-up now. You, you shouldn't need mummy or daddy to hold your hand and clean up your messes. You've got to take responsibility for yourself now if you want to enjoy everything that the adult life brings. An immature person responds to offense by getting angry and then sharing that anger. And there's nothing like gossip to destroy a church quicker than anything else can. Proverbs 16.28 says this, A troublemaker plants seeds of strife, and gossip separates the best of friends. And quite often we do this in our immaturity to get our version of the story out first. It's the law of first mention. So I'm going to tell you what happened between me and Sally before Sally does, because I want you on my side. And then we get everybody at odds with each other. And before you know it, there's this big split in the church and there's all these factions because we were wallowing in the shallow end of the pool, still wearing our floaties, hanging out in the little kids' end where all the urine and the stench is. Get out of there, move to the deep end of the pool where you got some room and some breaths and some brevity. You can move your arms. It feels good. You're free. Have discretion. Offenses come. The church is offensive because it's full of people. You, you are, you are going to get offended in church. And sometimes those offenses are going to be very legitimate. I don't want to minimize that. But this is our chance to be a Christian. 
When I, see, when I see someone respond poorly to offense, I feel like this is Christianity 101. This was your chance to show the world what spirit you are of, and you failed. You, you behaved like a big, fat baby. You had people going to their various sides. You stirred up strife. You poured out gossip. You told everybody who would hear it. You, you vomited and vented to all the wrong people. You know, when my little girl was about three years of age, she was in Target in a shopping cart, and all of a sudden she felt the urge to vomit, so she did. She vomited on the woman behind us. Like, poor woman just came to Target to get her stuff, and the next thing she knew, she was covered in vomit. But what can you do? Because she was maybe two and a half or three. It's kind of to be expected. Babies vomit without regard for where they vomit. But an adult, wherever it's possible, mm, 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 where's the sink? Where's the toilet? I'm not just going to go, I feel like vomiting. <laughs> but what many of us would never do in the natural, we do all the time in our relationships. Did you hear what Mike Finn said? It's like the flippin' exorcist up in there. It's time to grow up out of that stuff. You're gonna vomit, yes, you're gonna vomit, but vomit where it's appropriate. Find a trusted friend, someone who's not going to, to amen your dysfunction, but is actually gonna lead you to a place of reconciliation. It's time to mature in our responses. The Bible is, is, is so clear if, if we would just read it. Yeah. it. It really is. It has, it has an answer and it has a solution to every problem that we will ever face in relationships. In Matthew 18, 15, it says this, If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. Somebody say, just between the two of you just between the two of you. What do you do if your brother or sister sins against you? Okay, well, partial credit for that. I, <laughs> it wasn't how I planned it in my head. Just between the two of you. You know, I used to, I used to hate confrontation. I used to hate it. Um, I still don't like it but I've realized that it's actually an important part of maturity. Uh, I need to be able to confront people correctly because if I don't do it the right way, I'll end up doing it the wrong way. I'll end up picking up the phone and talking to everybody except the person who I actually need to be having a conversation with. And I feel like that's one of the big reasons that there's been so much drama in the church globally. You know, I would, I would have a situation that required confrontation I'd be like, well, I'm gonna, that's a job for Pastor Becky. That's, that's a job for Pastor Stacy. I'll, I'll bring in my attack dogs I'll, because I'm not a con confrontationist. But God had to really challenge me on that, that it was an area of immaturity. You want somebody else to do for you what you need to learn to do for yourself. And many of us think that somehow we have to become a different person to have to have some kind of conversation that requires the response that is a little bit confrontational, but you don't. You can be you and confront. You don't need to all of a sudden become a stormtrooper who yells and screams and points the finger. You can just simply say, what you did hurt me. When you said that, it wounded me deeply. I needed to let you know. I forgive you, but please don't do it again. This is normal, 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 mature Christian behavior. 
A mature person doesn't let the sun go down on their anger. Again, the Bible is so beautiful. God gives us a picture. Every time the sun goes down in the sky, every time it goes down at the end of the day, that is your heavenly reminder to deal with every piece of anger that you have in your heart. You may still have to deal with the issue or the offense with the person later, but you hand that anger over to God. I'm not going to let this stay in my soul. The Bible goes on to say that if we don't do that, we will give the devil a foothold. And none of us want to do that. How do you respond when you hear gossip? Proverbs 18.13 says this, Spouting off before listening to the facts is both shameful and foolish. My mum used to put it this way. No matter how flat you make a pancake, there are always two sides. And we are foolish if we make up our minds before we hear the other side of the story. A couple of years ago, the Holy Spirit gave me a really great key to deal with, because I, I, everybody tells me I'm always getting stuff coming my way, and I have to be like Solomon, ah, cut the baby in half. And I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, Leanne, you need to wait and weigh. Wait till all the facts emerge do you get a better understanding of what is really going on and then weigh the evidence against the history of the people and the context of the argument or the offense. We are wise if we do the same. Here's another one that's going to really hurt somebody. How do you respond when you're in a bad mood? One of the things that I think that we don't challenge enough in church is moodiness. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick on the girls for a second. I'm going to do this. Because I believe that there are certain impulses in men that society has demanded they curb. Sex and violence. You walk in here and you slap a girl on the butt, you punch a guy in the face, you're going to jail. They've had to curb their, their most carnal impulses to be able to live well in society. But what about if we had the same measure for moodiness? Who challenges the girls on their out-of-control hormones? I wonder how many girls would be in jail if we had... <laughs> probably a lot. So, of course, we'd be like, if you walked in and you touched a woman inappropriately or you punched a guy in the face and were violent, you would be condemned, and rightly so. But what about the girl or guy who walks in? <laughs> glaring at everybody, and it just so happens to be their best friend's party. I'm sorry, Sharon, but I've had a really hard day, and I'm not going to be able to get involved in the festivities or the celebration. You know what bad moods are? They're like bad breath. And just like you deal with your bad breath at home and your body odor, and you don't come into a room, <sighs> stinking the place up, like, you, you do this, right? Imagine if you did the same thing with your moods. You dealt with your moods before you went out in public. I honestly think bad moods, now, now you're going to have bad days. I, I don't want to make you feel like you're never allowed to have a bad day. Of course you are. But maturity is having a bad day but not behaving badly. That's the difference. 
Even if you have to take a minute to kind of center yourself, okay, I need to put myself in timeout. And a lot of us girls, we need to learn to do this, and guys too. We need to be able to put ourselves in our room. Many of us have left home, and your mother can, could say to you back when you are a teenager in your own house, you're just being a cranky so-and-so. Get in your room until you can come out with a smile on your face and kind of storm off braces and pimples. <laughs> but who's going to do that for you when you're 25? And then you wonder why you don't have any friends and nobody likes you and you didn't get invited to the mixer. It's because you may not have bad breath, but you're suffering from a severe case of bad mooditis. And you walk in, and you wonder why people are repelled from you. You've got to learn to tell yourself, no, you can speak to yourself. Oh, Leanne, come on. Oh, you can do this. You know, I believe that in the fruits of the spirit, the spirit of self-control or the seed of self-control is the last one for a reason. Because it's the one we need the most a lot of the times. Uh, you know what? I have self-control. I am not going to let my moods master me. My I am not a slave to my body. My body is my servant. I tell it how to behave. And you're not going to hear that preached anywhere else. But I'm telling you, it will change your life if you apply it. You work, walk into a room and you, you turn the, the atmosphere of the place Upside down with your moodiness. Stop it. It's enough now. Let Mama Leanne tell you no more. It's done. It's over now. I'm not talking about faking it till you make it. I'm talking about being the kind of person that can walk into a room and command yourself. Can actually say to your own spirit, to your own soul, like King David did. Oh, my soul, why are you so cranky within me? I will yet put a smile on my face. You can do it. You can do it. You can do it. What Oswald Chambers said was true. There are certain things in life that we need not pray about. Moods, for instance. We will never get rid of moodiness by praying. We only rid ourselves of it by kicking it out of our lives. Moods are nearly always rooted in some physical circumstance, not in our true inner self. It is a continual struggle not to listen to the moods which arise as a result of our physical condition, but we must never submit to them for a second. We have to pick ourselves up, shake ourselves off, and then we will find that we really can do what we believed we were unable to do. The problem is simply that far too many of us won't. This is what growing up looks like. This is what taking responsibility for your life looks like. I wish it was just a deliverance prayer, but my friends, it comes down to being responsible with the feelings on the inside of you and then submitting them to the Lord. Point number three, mature choices. In Deuteronomy 30, 30 verse 19, it says this, this day I call the heavens and the earth as witness against, against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and cursings. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of choice. You get to choose. 
But here's how the mature person views choice. The mature person thinks about more than themselves when they make a choice. I'm not just thinking about how this affects me. I'm thinking about how this affects everybody around me. Because notice in this scripture in Deuteronomy that it says your choices will affect the people who come after you. They will also affect the people around you. Maturity is making choices based not just on what's best for you, but what is best also for others. Now, at Awaken Church, we, we are not going to have policies around you can't wear a bikini and you can't wear spaghetti straps and tank tops and you can't have a drink and you have to hug members of the opposite sex sideways. <laughs> we're, we are not a policy church. Yeah. We're going to teach you to self-govern. Yeah. I don't want to have to make a rule for you to follow so you're under the thumb. Here's what the Bible says, Paul speaking. He said, all things are permissible, but not all things are helpful. Right. 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 So we're not making policies. God made a whole lot. And this is how you should live your life. If you need us coming alongside you or hellfire flames licking at your feet for you to stay saved, that's a bigger problem. Right. All things are permissible but not all things are beneficial so the conversation here at Awaken Church is not is that allowed but is that beneficial is that is that edifying is that wise the Bible says all things are permissible but not all things are edifying not all things uplift not things not all things enlighten not all things encourage baby Christians to live their life well so I want to ask this question when someone comes to our church and gets saved out of addiction, would your life choices teach them balance and sobriety or would it cause them to lapse back into their vice? This is the difference here. Is it edifying? The Bible tells us not to let our freedom become an opportunity to indulge our sinful nature. And we're a church that obviously promotes freedom. We, we are a church who's, who's, who fights the freedom fight. We're going to fight for you to have freedom, fight for you to live free. But right here, the Bible says that freedom is given in the hopes that we will be responsible with it. And I would hate that our church had any reputation, that we're some kind of worldly bunch and all oh, that awakened church. They're always partying. They're always drinking. Now, again, we're not going to be a policy church, but my gosh, are your choices edifying? If someone came to our church and they had a serious drinking problem or came out of a drug addiction, would they be able to see balance and sobriety in you? And you can be sober and still have a couple of glasses of wine. No issues there, but are you modeling health and balance? I had the most beautiful upbringing. My parents would often drink wine with dinner. I never once ever in my life saw them drink too much or, or were they ever drunk. As a result, I haven't ever had a problem with alcohol. The first time I saw a drunk person, I believe I was like 19 or 20, after I was married. I remember watching it and just being like blown away, like, oh my gosh, that's what it looks like? That's terrible. But the way that the world is right now, we're going to get a bunch of people through our doors who, who have struggled with this very real vice and temptation. I would hate it that our choices, that our freedom 
in any way led them to a place where they felt it was okay for them to jump back in again? Can we be responsible with our freedom? If you cannot have a good time without excessive drinking or showing off your body or touching someone else's body, there are deeper issues at play. And behind that fruit is actually a root that God wants to deal with so you can live truly free. You want to be free. You want to live free. Don't you want to live free? Of course you do. If someone came to our church with a history of promiscuity, they came out of the very common modern problem, the spirit of this world where where everybody's having sex with everybody without any regard, would your life and your witness and your choices as a free person heal them? Would it inspire them to something better? Are you inappropriately flirtatious? Do you dress without any regard for yourself or others? This is what Paul means by saying we use our freedom to seek the best for others. Do you make wise choices that inspire others to health? A child doesn't think about what they do, they just do it. As a mother, as an adult, I weigh my choices. What is the best decision for me and my family? What is the best decision for me and the people around me? Do you go away on vacations with your boyfriend and girlfriend alone? Oh, but we didn't have sex. Liar! (laughs) And you know what? If you went away with your boyfriend or girlfriend alone and stayed in the same room and didn't have sex, I would say you shouldn't get married because you're clearly not attracted to each other. (laughs) There are deeper issues there. I mean, what are you doing? What are you doing? Foolish. Oh, no, we have self-control, will of steel. Unlikely. But what about the young couple who have just joined the church and every cue they've had is a cue from the world and now they're trying to do it God's way and then they see these two leaders and they're popping off to Cancun together. And At least, I mean, come on, at least start there. It is good. If only people would do it, it could change the world. Do we model health in the area of sexuality? This is a big one, guys. It's massive. Or is there zero difference in our lives and the lives of the world other than the fact that we serve on the worship team? Let that sink in. If a homosexual person, and I pray that they do, comes to our church and they surrender their life to God, and they want to live a transformed life, would our witness, would the way we use and steward our freedom compel them further toward God and healing and health or away from him? One of the saddest stories of my Christian life was when I attended a church, and a beautiful young man who was very, very deep into the gay scene came into the church and surrendered his life to God. I remember him weeping on the altar. It was a genuine conversion moment. He then got connected into the church family, but sadly, that church, the worldly culture, was huge and massive. And so unfortunately, instead of being discipled by men who had morals and values and used their freedom to serve one another, they used their freedom to serve themselves. 
And they kind of got up to no good with, with women and they would drink too much, maybe not enough to get into trouble, but definitely enough and get up to all kinds of stuff. And I remember this guy after a couple of months going, so you're telling me I left that life of sin for this life of sin? But here I'm not allowed to be gay? I don't understand. But they're doing everything that I was doing. I, like this Christianity thing is a joke. And I remember it being just like one of the, the saddest, the saddest things that I had ever witnessed in my life. When we have people like that coming into our church, are they going to see a different spirit? Are they going to see men and women who are on the train to Christian maturity, not satisfied with just hanging in the shallow end, doing what everybody else does but with a Christian bumper sticker on it? The witness and example that we give will send people, I believe, one 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 of two directions further toward Christ or further away from him. Mature choices. Somebody say mature choices. I'll take it up a little bit lighter. All right. Keep your word. Mature choices. Keep your word. Keep your word. Flakiness is a blight and a cancer on our generation. Now, listen, cancellations are a part of life. But let them not be your normal. Keep your commitments. (laughs) Evite reports that around 80% of people that RSVP yes for an event actually end up not showing up. And I actually think that's a real litmus test of our culture. The fact that we can give our word but then not keep it. And our word is actually something that we're meant to give and keep at the same time. And now I know there are certain, things, certain occasions and, and times where you just can't make it and it's legitimate. But most of the time, if we're honest, it's not. It's just we're like, you know what, I changed my mind. I want to stay home and watch Netflix. Yeah. What, a, what a beautiful thing it is to be so different to the world. Yeah. That when I send out a party invitation, I get 20 yeses. I'm pretty assured that pretty much all those 20 people are going to turn up because these are people of of their word. They're different to to the crew that I used to run with before I got saved. There are a bunch of flakes, but not here, not in God's house. And don't lie to get out of stuff. Oh, I'm sick. I'm sick. Liar. You aren't sick. Listen, if you didn't go places when you were sick, how did our church all get COVID at once? You, you, you totally go where you want to go. So, so stay committed to your word. Go to bed earlier. Some of your life choices would drastically improve if you just went to bed. Alone if you're not married. Nothing good happens after midnight usually. Nothing. Go home. Go home, America. Go home. All right, we're winding to fourth. (laughs) Mature worship. And this is the kicker. This is everything. The issue is always worship. Who do you worship? Do you worship God or do you worship yourself? 
And that's what it really comes down to. This is the pinnacle of maturity. Worship is not what we do in church for 20 minutes on a Sunday. That's not what worship is. Worship is your life on an altar. When, when you gave God your life, he didn't give you a receipt for a refund. There is no returns. Don't take your life back once you've given it. Surrender it to God. When Jürgen and I moved here 16 years ago from America, I remember coming to a nation I didn't know. I didn't know anybody. Everything was foreign. I was on the other side of the world. We had no friends. We had just the beginnings of a church. It was very difficult. And I remember lying on my bed at about 2 o'clock every afternoon, and I would feel those blues hit every afternoon. And so I would remove myself from the family because I didn't want to kind of dump my bad mood on them. And I'd go upstairs and I'd just grieve over everything I'd let go. But I remember saying to God, but God, when I gave you my life, I meant it. When I gave you my life, I gave you my life. This is what mature worship looks like. It's not a Hillsong concert. It's not what happens in the 20 minutes before the preacher gets up. It's your life. It's your life on the altar. But what happens when life doesn't look like we thought it would look? Can you still see that you're in the will of God? You're in the will of God and that he loves you. When Job, who suffered greatly as a husband, as a father, as a business owner, lost everything, his wife, who I believe was the first deconstructionist, said to him, Job, why don't you curse God and die? Because a deconstructionist really just is where disappointment and immaturity collide. If you ever see those deconstructionist movement people, they are basically immature people who got disappointed, who never got out of the shallow end of the pool. They were sitting around in their floaties and then somebody kicks sand in their face and they're like, Wah! and they leave church and they want to try to build down, pull down the very foundation of Christianity. Good luck. So this was Job's wife. Why don't you curse God and die? And Job looks at her. The Bible says he was covered in boils. He'd lost his children, his Barns and his livestock had been burned down. Everything happened to him at once. And then he looks at her and he says, My darling, you speak as one of the foolish women speak. He didn't even call her foolish. He said, You're speaking foolishly. You speak as one of the foolish women speak. Should we only accept good from God and not adversity? And the Bible goes on to say, in all this, God, uh, Job did not sin against God with his lips. That is what maturity looks like. What relationship in your life, including your relationship with God, do you ever think is going to be disappointment-free? Maturity is being able to handle a little bit of hardship and saying, God, when I gave you my life, I meant it. When I took up my cross and you said, follow me, I wasn't going to take it off again. When I was a little girl, I used to sing a song. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. I meant it at three, and I mean it at 47. 
That's what maturity looks like. When things aren't going the way that you wish they would go, when you feel like you've got prayers unanswered, like the Bible says that you see things and they're not clear and the veil is still in front of you and you don't know why and you don't understand, but you worship God anyway. You pull yourself up out of the ashes and you get your butt to church on Sunday. Why? Because you feel like it? No, because it's the right thing to to do. Because this is what mature worship looks like. It's no longer I that liveth, but Christ who lives in me. I made a decision a long time ago. I am a dead woman walking. I've completely given my life to God. Whatever he says, I'm going to do. Whatever he asks me to give, I'm going to give it. I'm not arguing with him. What is maturity? Looking at life through a divine lens. The Bible says that this life is but a vapor. Wouldn't you hate it if you got to heaven and said, oh my gosh, I missed it. I lived my life so selfishly and now I see what really mattered. I lived it for me and I could have lived it for him. I could have had a different impact up here. If I had a different life down there. Oh, but I was selfish. I didn't trust God. I didn't honor him with my life. I worshiped myself and I didn't worship him. I never want to be that person. I never want to be that person. This is what mature worship looks like. The disciples came to Jesus in John 6, 6. And everybody was leaving Jesus. Everybody was backing off. So if you sometimes it feels like everybody's leaving you, you're in good company. And Jesus comes to them in the most vulnerable of moments. The Bible says that many left and turned back from following him. And he said to the disciples, are you going to leave me too? I'm prepared to do this alone if I have to. Just so you know, I don't want to, but I'm prepared. And Peter turns to him and says, oh Lord, where would we go? For you alone have the words of eternal life. I'm telling you, if you get the revelation that Peter got, Your life will change completely. You'll have a joy where there was once sorrow, that tug of war over the fight of your flesh. I live most days happy and I'm not lying to you. Do you know why? Because God is in complete control of my life. It's the best life ever. Mature worship. One day the things of earth will grow strangely dim. And you try so hard to fit in on earth, but there's always going to be a part of you that doesn't fit in. My kids used to say to me, I just don't feel like I belong sometimes. I'm like, well, well, that's actually a good sign because you don't. You're going to have moments that are just amazing and friendships that are wonderful and deep, but there's always going to be a part of you that longs to be reunited in your forever eternal home. The Bible calls us aliens, strangers, not the crazy kind, strangers, and aliens on this planet. There's always going to be a part of you that doesn't quite seem like it fits because it shouldn't, it doesn't, because you were born for another land. Amen. 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 Six o'clock. All right. How you hanging? Good? All right. Good. Oh, that was intense. I hope you could handle it. I probably left some stuff out. Thank you, everyone. You're such good sports, but I truly mean it. If, if I seemed angry, I'm certainly not. I'm just so passionate about this. 
I just want us to have a different spirit at Awaken Church. And one day, many, many years from now, when I'm old and grey and I leave planet Earth, I want to know that Awaken Church is in good hands. I don't want a one-generational church. I don't want a church that is like a flash in the pan, pan and it's all built on Jürgen and Leanne and their conviction and their devotion. But generations from now, that the same convictions that we have will be the same convictions and values that our children after us will have. And we will leave an undeniable impact on this city that God has entrusted us to. And it comes down to us getting out of the shallow and into the deep. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. But when I became a grown-up, I put aside childish things. Amen. God bless you guys. Oh, come on, y'all got to for Pastor Leanne. Come on. Incredible. Thank you so much. She's literally about to hop on a plane and get out of here. Can we do this? We just stretch our hands towards our lead pastor. God, we thank you for the vision that you have given them. God, the boldness, the courage, and the strength. God, we thank you that your word is finding them, even in the middle of the night, early in the morning. God, giving them fresh revelation, fresh words from heaven. God, we thank you for their voice in our lives. And we, God, say we're ready to get into the deep end. We are leaving the floaties behind. God, you are calling us out into the water, and we will respond with maturity because we are building your kingdom. We are building your house. We praise you. We worship you. In Jesus' name, we all said amen. Amen. Come on, one more time. Let's give it up for Pastor Leanne. Incredible, incredible. Hey, we're going to release you guys, but please, listen, register for Young Adult Easter Egg Hunt. Get your tickets to Hero. God bless you. Go have a great rest of your Sunday night.